0: Well, in honor of Father's Day, uh, I have learned some things of what not to say in the labor and delivery room. (laughs) And uh, in hearing some stories uh, of what people have said to women delivering, I've realized this is not probably the wise thing to say. One lady, after laboring for 20 plus hours, uh, the nurse came in and said, guess what? All the women that came in with you? They've all delivered. You're the last one. Not something to say. Uh, One doctor said to a lady delivering, let's get this going. I don't have all day. A nurse uh, trying to comfort um, a lady having a baby. You know, it's not that bad. And the lady says, do you have any children? And the nurse said, no. And the lady said, well, I think you should shut up then. (laughs) And a husband who was saying to his wife, stop scrunching your face and breathe like they taught you in Lamaze. It can't be that bad. <laughs> oh, man. Things not to say to a woman giving birth. Um, I think I've learned in having four children uh, not to wax philosophical or be pastoral pastoral when my wife is having a baby. So um, there isn't this, you know, honey, there's purpose in this pain. <laughs> You know, this is going to pay off in the end. Or even, you know, maybe we should have another one. (laughs) Probably not things you should say in the middle of delivery. This is wisdom. You know, these things might be okay to say at certain times, but wisdom is learning how to say the right thing at the right time. How to take knowledge and apply it in circumstances. And that's what Proverbs does. That's what Psalms does. That's what the book of Job does. Does you know these statements might be true, but are we saying it at the right time? And we are going to see that today a person that is suffering, and in the person that's suffering, what not to say and what to say. So, in seeing Job's life and seeing how people respond to him, we are going to learn what not to say and what to say. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, everyone probably should hear, 418 in the black Bibles that are in the back, it's Job chapter 4, it's kind of like in the middle of the Bible, a little bit before the middle, so if you've gone to Psalms, you've gone too far, go back, okay, so Job chapter 4, we're going to be looking at 4, 5, 6, and seven, if you're worried that I'm going to read all that, I'm not I'm going to skip around in that time, but I'm going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read that to you right now. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling. And you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you. And you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence? And the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey. And the cubs of the lioness are scattered. The word of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us, welcome. We're going through the book of Job. We know this character Job is described as the greatest man of the East. And what we've seen to this greatest man of the East in the land of Uz. Job has lost many things. He's lost his wealth. His sheep and ox. Those have been taken by others. And then his ten children have died in a house that collapsed on them. His wife has left him. He has sores all over his body so he's not even be around the people he is in his community because he is unclean. And he is by the trash heap. He has lost so many things. And we've learned that um, in Job 1 and 2 that there was this cosmic court that Job was not privy to. And in this cosmic court was God and what is known as the accuser or the Satan. And this accuser was trying to argue to God, you know, the only reason people love you, God, the only reason people really care about you is because you give them stuff. You're just their sugar daddy. And that's how it works. You give them stuff and then they respond in love. But if you take away their stuff, they won't love you. And Job says, God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? And he says, well, let's see. And then this experiment takes place where Job loses all these things. And this is God's witness to see if this is really true. A person will love God, not just for stuff, but for who he is. And then we see in chapter 1 and 2 that Job responds in success. I love God. I will not sin against him. I will not curse his name. Though he gives and he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And the thing is, we think, okay, this is Job, right? This is, if people have any understanding of Job, you have understanding of Job. This is usually where we camp out, these first two chapters. But the thing is, there's 40 more chapters. And in these 40 more chapters, we start to get kind of Job playing out the suffering in his life. And dialoguing about it. Someone that did not know and was not aware of what happened in this cosmic place. Now Job is trying to work it out in his life. And the question is not, by Satan, why is he righteous? Now the questions are coming from other people. Are you, Job, righteous? I like to call it four rounds with friends. Okay? Four rounds with friends. On top of losing all of this stuff, you know, his kids, his family, you know, his, his wealth, his home, all of these things, now comes um, 15 plus, 20 plus chapters of friends beating on Job. If you thought it, thought it was bad what he got there, now it just gets worse. And we see in these four rounds of fights, Three of his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they have speeches against Job. Eliphaz and Bildad, three speeches. And then Zophar, two speeches. And then there's this guy that is not really a friend, but must be listening in with the crowd and what they're saying. His name is Elihu. And then he speaks for a long time. And uh, he starts jabbing Job with kind of the left hand versus the right from a different angle is, all these friends come to Job in different ways, beating him down. They come from tones of, oh, this is my experience, to philosophical arguments, to allegories, to poetry, to write for the jugular, just telling it like it is, to the good cop, to the bad cop. They just come from different angles coming after Job. And the major jab Sorry, I'm left-handed, so I jab with that left hand. <laughs> the major jab is this idea of the retribution principle. And the retribution principle that they're hitting with constantly over and over and over again is, you know, people that are blessed and get stuff, they are righteous and good. Those that are cursed and things are taken away from them, they are wicked and foolish. So you you see, they're just pounding this principle over and over again. Job, you've gotten things taken away from you. You're in a bad spot because obviously you're a sinner. Obviously you have problems. There's something in your life and they just jab this idea over and over and over again. In literature, we call these people foils. You know, Falstaff, Shakespeare has lots of good foils. Foils, you know, they kind of shine a light brighter on the object. So, um, on the other character. So, by seeing these characters, these three friends and Elihu, next to Job, we get a better picture of Job. And his truth and what he is fighting for. And in fact, we see it because Job responds to each one of these guys. So while these guys have these three rounds and some two rounds or one one round, Job goes every round with them, eight speeches back to each one of these individuals. And we have to wonder, and the thing is, if we just read Job for the first time and we didn't read the end, we would kind of wonder while reading these speeches and these dialogues back and forth, who's Right? Who am I supposed to be rooting for here? Well, I'm going to skip ahead. Chapter 42, at the end, when God comes on the scene, who does God rebuke? God rebukes the three friends. And he says, Job was right. God rebukes the three friends, and Job is right. It's interesting, I, sometimes people, uh, they love, uh, it's great to love a memory verse and have a favorite verse, um, but it, it, some understanding in, in scripture, um, you just can't pluck a verse all the time. You have to read it in context. And some people love to pluck the book of Job for their little statements like, oh, this is so good, this is so true. Um, many statements I've seen people pluck from Job are from these friends. <laughs> So, truly, the friends, when they speak, these are not good things. You have to see it in context. In context. Now, I can see, I don't want to bash people that do that. Maybe you've done that myself. I've totally done that with verses myself. You know, they sound good. But this is the thing about wisdom. Wisdom is saying the right thing at the right time. And this is what these friends do not do well. So, for the next few weeks, we are going to look at the friends and these dialogues or discourses. Um, and it's going to take a long, it's a huge section. And we're not going to just get into each one of the chapters. It can get kind of repetitive over time. Um, today, I'm going to look at Eliphaz, chapters 4 and 5, and Job's response chapters 6 and 7. And Josh and I will look at Bildad and Zophar and Alehu over the next few weeks. Well, let's look at Eliphaz and his response. Where did we leave Job? Well, we left him uh, at uh, this kind of junkyard, this ash heap. That's why we have coal up here and broken pottery because he's been taking this broken pottery and scraping off the boils. That's how bad it is. His friends have come to him. They sat in silence for a week. And then Job has spoken. And Job has said some pretty heavy things that we talked about last week. He said, I would rather the day that I was born be taken out of the calendar. Out of the almanac. I wish that day did not exist so I would not be born. I wish I was not born. That's how bad my life is. So that is the speech that Job has given. And now comes Eliphaz, the elder of the group, the wise of the group, probably the one that went first because he's the elder and the one that looks wise or what might be, and he responds. And, you know, I think Eliphaz is kind of the good cop. You know, he's kind of the diplomatic one of the group. We'll see, he kind of gets less diplomatic as time goes on. (laughs) By the third speech, he just kind of gets upset at Job. But by the first one, he's kind of just, you know, searching it out, trying to talk to this guy that's a little upset. And uh, he kind of starts, you know, if one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? So, you mind if I talk to you? You know, I know you've just said some pretty harsh things, but I think we should, well, let's, let's talk, and I want you to hear, okay? And then he kind of butters Job up. Behold, you have instructed money, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Job You are, you've been a great guy. You've done some amazing things. And you know what? You've talked to people that have been in bad places. Now the shoe is on the other foot. Will you take it? Will you now receive the kind of advice that I would give? And that you gave to others. Now will you receive it? And uh, he says, in verse 4, Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. We wonder, if Eliphaz was going through the same thing that Job was, I think Job would probably respond the same way. But now something has happened to Job. Something different. Something crazy. The question is, how is Job going to respond? Maybe the advice that Job had given in the past, that these guys have given over and over time, the philosophy of the day, they're starting to kind of weed out, is this really true? Is this really right? Let's look. He asks three questions that you really have what he expects, a firm yes to them. Verse 5, But now it has come to you, and you are impatient, it touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence? And the integrity of your ways your hope? Expecting yes, yes. Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? No one. Right? That's what he's thinking. No one that's ever innocent is ever perished. Or where were the upright cut off? (laughs) Never. That's the principle that he lives by. That is the retribution principle. That's the moral order of the day. If you're innocent, you don't suffer. If you do something bad, you do. It's the moral order. And then he uses this lion analogy, and he's using it to talk about Job, because Job might have been referred to as the lion, because he was so great. He was kind of the the head of the pride. He was an important man in that place. In verse 10, the roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, Job, right? The teeth of the young lions are broken, meaning the teeth What protects them and helps them is that wisdom or that goodness or that righteousness. But now it has been broken. So when that is broken, the strong lion perishes for lack of prey. And the cubs of the lioness are scattered. You see what's happened to your greatness, Job? Do you see what's happened to you being this great person in the land? Your teeth are gone. Your goodness is gone. And now, because of it, all that you've had has been scattered. You know, this is a principle that does not just apply in the Old Testament. It's one that even goes into the New Testament. In John chapter 9, the disciples um, were with Jesus. And um, they saw a blind man. And uh, the disciples said, Jesus, Jesus. Who sinned? Was it his parents that sinned that made him blind? Or was it him that sinned that made him blind? And see, that's the retribution principle. The reason he's blind is because it's something he's done. Something his parents have done. But Jesus responds, neither. Neither. But he was blind that the works of God would be displayed. I think the same thing can be applied to Job. There's sin, I'm not saying Job, is perfect. But the reason that Job is in the place in he is in is so the works of God would be displayed. Dan, it sounds like you're contradicting yourself because I just was at the sermon when you preached Galatians 6-7 and it said, what you sow is what you reap. And it just says that he says the same thing. He says, you know, as I've seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. What's going on here? Are you just contradicting yourself? Hear me, please. Are there consequences to our sin? Absolutely. But not all suffering is the result of the consequences of your sin. And we as Christians should take extreme caution in saying that anyone's suffering is because of their sin. Or any disaster is because of sin. And I am sorry if any of you have been in situations that Christians might have said that to you. Or said well the reason that things like that happened in Orlando. Or typhoid's happened is because of the sin. Please hear me. There is extreme caution in saying such things as that. Well he goes on. Chapter 5, you look with me, you can look to your Bibles, 419. Chapter 5, call now, is there anyone who will answer you, Job, in your suffering? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Are there any of these angels or anyone going to help you in this time? He says, surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling." His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. Oh, what a biting word here. He's saying, okay, I've heard now your vexation. (laughs) I've heard your complaint. I've heard your agony. You know what that is? That's talk of a fool. Just talk of a fool. I've seen what happens to fools. Suddenly they are cursed, and their children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. For a guy that just lost ten children, that word must have been hard. And it is, as much as he kind of couches it in his nice tone, it must have cut right to the heart. A cruel blow. Especially when Job, as we learned, made sacrifices for his children after each of their parties. How much he loved and cared for them. And now he is saying, oh, the reason is because of this, I can see what's in you. The talk of a fool just makes sense. That's evidence there's sin in your life. And then he goes on um, in verses 8 through 14. These are some of the richest, rich parts that we might put on a refrigerator As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause who does great things and is unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noonday as in the night. And then he goes on again in verses 17. Behold, bless, And Now he's saying this is how Job should respond. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he uh, binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from, the, from death. And in war, from the power of the sword, you shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue and shall not fear destruction when it comes. And he goes on. So Job, listen. You just got to turn. God's doing this to, to, to root out the problems in your life and the sin in your life. God disciplines those he loves, right? Hebrews. That's what's happening. So what you got to do is just get back on the right track, Job. You get back on the right track. God is then going to put you in a good place and you're going to be blessed back with these things. In verse 27, he sums up, Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. Oh, it sounds great. He's quoting Hebrews here. And he's not quoting, but Hebrews quotes this kind of thinking. And then Galatians. I mean, this is good stuff. Here's the issue. Job's friends, the philosophy of that day, can't reconcile these things together. God can't be just and good. And Job can't be righteous and suffer. God can't be sovereign and good and and give good things and be just and giving back what you deserve. He can't be those things and then a righteous person suffer. That just can't happen. It doesn't work that way. There's no room in their thinking for innocent suffering. I'm going to say it again. There is no room in their minds for innocent suffering. I love Charlie Brown. I just, I, I just love Charlie Brown. I think I, the reason I love Charlie Brown is kind of Murphy's Law kind of thing with Charlie Brown. What could go wrong goes wrong. You know, he's kind of picked on. You kind of feel sorry for him, you know? He's just kind of this character. Everything kind of goes wrong. And, and, you know, I think Charles Schultz did that on purpose because we can, we can kind of resonate with Charlie Brown at times. Like, we feel like that, especially as a kid. Like kind of feel like on the outside sometimes. And then there's Lucy, who I just despise, right? I should love Lucy. But Lucy, you know, who always kind of getting under Charlie Brown's skin. And then Lucy in one of Charles Schultz's comics says... There is one thing you're going to have to learn, Charlie Brown. You reap what you sow. You get, of li- get out of life what you put into it. No more, no less. And then Snoopy is in the background. And Snoopy overhears what Lucy says. And Snoopy says, I kind of like to see a little margin for error. See, Lucy's equation is Eliphaz's equation. Obey God, get good stuff. God is a God of laws. You follow him, he'll give you what you need. There's not really room for grace. thing is, the friends, these friends that are challengers, that are fighting Job, they kind of sound like the other challenger, the Satan, don't they? Oh, the only reason you love, they love you, God, is because what you give them. Job, if you obey God, if you get back on track, if you follow him and fit these equations, do A, get B, you'll be okay. you know, the world doesn't work like that. I'm thankful it doesn't. Sometimes I wish it did. That if I did good behavior, I would get the immediate results for it. But you don't get immediacy for behavior changes. I went to college. Here's a good job. (laughs) I disciplined my kids. Oh, look how wonderful they are now. I love my boss. Oh, look, they love me back and give me promotions. You see, the world doesn't work like that. And God doesn't work like that in the world in our lives. Hear me, please. God is not into behavior modification. He's not into an equation relationship with us. He's into a dynamic relationship with us. Transforming not just our behavior, but our very hearts. Why does he do this to Job? To press into Job that I am more than this. That there is more to me than just getting things. There is getting me. And he spends all of this time, all of this lament, all of this suffering that Job goes through to see this is the dynamic relationship you can have with me. You see, Aliphaz, he wants to normalize Job's relationship with God. He wants to say, let's just get back on the philosophy that we've lived by. But the thing is, the Bible is trying to show that Job wants, that God wants people to live in a new reality. And Job is living in a new reality. A love of God for God's sake, for who He is. I'm going to say it again. I'll probably say it every week. There is more at stake than your happiness and success. There is more to stake in your life than your happiness and success. It's the glory of God where the innocent suffer. Well, how does Job respond? Right? Job has taken everything that Eliphaz has said to heart. You're right. You know, I have been a complainer. I have been vexing too long. I just need to get with it. I need to realize, I need to say, God, you're disciplining me to show me something. I need to change my behavior. Here I go. No more vexation. No more anger. No more of this kind of cursing my day of my birth, right? Job has finally got it. And he is going to respond, right? And here he is. I'm gonna read from the message. I encourage you, if you're confused in Job, I don't always tell you people to read the message, okay? Message is good sometimes, but I think when reading the book of Job, the message is a good, it's a version of the Bible. Eugene Peterson, Trumper Longman helped in um, writing the book of Job and in the message. Um, it's you can find it online, you can find it in a bookstore, the message. But I'm just gonna read the message in Job chapter 7, and this is Job's response. If my misery could be weighed, If you could pile the whole bitter load on the scales, it would be heavier than all the sand of the sea. Exclamation point. Is it any wonder that I'm screaming like a caged cat? The arrows of God Almighty are in me, poison arrows, and I'm poisoned all through. Exclamation point. I'm not just yelling. God has dumped the whole works on me. Donkeys bray and cows moo when they run out of pasture. So don't expect me to keep quiet in this. You see what God has dished out for me? It's enough to turn anyone's stomach. Everything in me is repulsed by it, it makes me sick. He got it, didn't he? Eliphaz, you're right. No, Job doubles down. And he keeps going talk of what Eliphaz says is a fool. Job says this life is hard. It is difficult. I am suffering. You know if someone was screaming. Just screaming and yelling. And then you saw another person trying to talk to the person that's screaming and yelling. And you saw them kind of just just calm down. You know, just got to get some perspective here. It's going to be okay. You know, we need to get a different view of how the world's working here. If we saw that picture, we'd say, okay, the person screaming's got some issues. That's the person with problems. And the person that's calming him down, they're, they're doing the right thing. But what if the setting was the hospital room And the person screaming was the woman giving birth to the baby. And the person standing at a far distance calming them down was the husband. What would we say then? What are you doing, bro? Get next to her. It's okay that she's screaming. She's having a baby. You should be comforting her and loving her. Not saying, you're screaming like a fool. (laughs) Calm down, relax. No, no, no. Get next to her. Soothe her. Help her. Who's the fool in this story? I love the irony. As Eliphaz says, Oh, you are the fool, Job. Be like me who is wise. But the real fool is Eliphaz. Because true wisdom would be comfort and soothing for those that are suffering. You doubt me? Listen, this is what a king is supposed to look like, Jesus. You're supposed to conquer Israel. You're supposed to be high and mighty. People are supposed to follow you, and Rome is supposed to fall. That is what it's supposed to look like. Okay? And you're off suffering and screaming and in Gethsemane, in talking about how you're going to die, dude, you can't do that. Get a good picture here, Jesus. This is what it's supposed to look like. Get a grip, man. Do you think there's any irony that it says, "Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ? Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. When the disciples and the Pharisees and those around Israel were saying, the innocent should not suffer. The blameless should not suffer. That is why they could not see Jesus as the Messiah. But God is saying, that is the very heart of my message. The innocent do suffer. And when they scream and they yell, And they suffer. Instead of saying, get a grip. That's not the way it works. Instead, we should be coming alongside saying, that's the way it works for him. And that's the way it should work for me. So when you're in the hospital bed and the wife is screaming, you participate in the sufferings of the pain in your ear. And the hand being gripped so hard. It's like, that's hurting me. In that, we are participating in the groaning and the suffering of new birth. And that is a picture of Christ. We're not having to go through the childbirth, thank God, as a husband. I'm not going through it as a guy, I'm not going through that. I'm just getting a glimpse in my ear and in my hand. But through that groaning and suffering of Christ, there is new birth. In fact, to get that new birth in our lives, the innocent has to suffer. And then Job goes on, verse fourteen. Sorry, six fourteen, says, "He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty." The brothers are treacherous as torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away. He talks now about how his friends are responding to him, how Eliphaz has just responded to him. These are friends, and he uses an analogy that are like this. It's like an oasis that forms in the wintertime, has all this water, and people that were searching for water would go to this place to quench their thirst, And then in the summertime, what happens is this oasis, it just goes away. But the people that are journeying, one of them says, oh, wait, we're almost out of water. But I remember there's this place over here. We'll go get water over there. And they go off track and use the rest of the water that they have to get to this place where there will be refreshing. And they find out there is nothing there. And they've used all their water. That is what you're like, Eliphaz. That is what kind of friendship you are. I thought I was going to have someone that would comfort me and help, help me, but instead I receive nothing. You are like a false oasis. I'm so glad that when people are suffering in my life, I respond so well all the time. I'm so good. I'm, I'm amazing at responding really well. 621. It says, For you have now become nothing, talking to these friends. You see my calamity and are afraid. I think this is maybe your response. It's sometimes my response when I see people suffer. You got, People have to be happy, Okay? I want to make sure people are okay. And if they're not okay, that's kind of ruining my vibe too. And I get uptight. Uptight, okay, I'm afraid that I have to actually venture into, you know, there is suffering in this world that I might have to be a part of this too. There's just this need to make everyone okay. And be fine. I was meditating on this. I had a friend in college. Good friend. Um, He dated this girl in college and they started dating their freshman year. And uh, he was determined, you know, it's D.C. and G.W. So he's going to be president of the United States. This is going to be the first wife. He's going to get married. They're going to live the political life together. All these kind of things. He had great dreams. He interned at the White House and all these things. And I remember his senior year, second semester, this girl, my friend too, broke up with him. And it was hard for him. Very hard for him. And I remember my great advice. You know, maybe that was an idol in your life, bro. You know, it's probably good that She's gone. Oh, stupid. Inconsiderate. Bad advice. Eliphaz, one of the things that he says, Job, God is so big. You are not. Even his servants, he puts no trust in. You think he really, he cares? Here's the thing. Even though God is huge and he's big and he's separate and he's grand, he cares about his servant Job. Even though he is vastly greater than Job, he cares about his servant Job. To even come down and speak to him and rebuke his friends and say, Job, you are right. Is that how we respond? To our kids? When maybe a friendship doesn't work out or maybe a plaything is taken or um, maybe uh, all their friends have phones and they don't. They can't watch certain movies. I, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. You know? Just get over it. It's okay. It'll get better. To our friends, really, you're complaining about that? Don't... I've been there. It's going to be okay. Our spouse, really, you're continuing to complain about this? Not that big of a deal. If the God of the universe can say it's a big deal to humans, to us like us that are so small, can we not think that our kids, our spouse and friends, what they're going through is a big deal. And be with them in it. And love them in it. This book is crazy. I decided this book of Job is just craziness. Because if I read it at first glance, I'd say, Job is the one that's way off. And these friends are the ones that are doing the right things. Job, at the end of this speech here, he says, leave me alone, God. Get away from me. I'm sick of what you do to me. Get away from me. And God at the end says, you're right, Job. And says to these friends, you are wrong. God cares about people that suffer. In fact, He identifies with them, even in their wailing and their suffering. He comes to them. That is the God that is shown here. That is what makes this book so rich that God uplifts Job and makes his other friends down. Even in what Job says. Verse 7, chapter 4. Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Show me, Job. Show me the innocent that haven't perished, that have perished. Show me the ones that are just wicked and foolish. Show me the ones that are upright that have been cut off. Show me someone like that. There it is. There is the innocent that perished. There is the one that had nothing in him that was cut off. Job's innocent suffering only makes sense when we see it through the lens of the cross. The cross is where innocent suffering comes to light, it's the very core of the Christian faith. It doesn't mean we just sit and wallow and suffer and just live there and just depress lives and worldviews. No. It does say that we cry out to someone. Like chapter 5, verse 1 To which of the holy ones will you turn? Who will be your mediator, Job? This is the one that will mediate. This is the one you can call out to. This is the Holy One that will come to you in your suffering. Run to Him. Come to Him. And through Job and his innocent suffering, we see the One that truly suffered for us. Let's pray.